Just curious, how many of you uh, recognize the voice in that song? Anybody? And, and that was me, man. You couldn't understand. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Israel Houghton yeah, was correct, yeah. Uh, silly question, but I have something to it. How did you get here? I mean, aside from a car, I mean, I know you came in a car um, or some sort of vehicle brought you here, but aside from that, you ever think about it? How did you get to the place in life where you come to be in a place like this today? Uh, wouldn't it be fascinating if we had the time to just hear all the varied stories as we start talking through what led to one thing, to another thing, to another thing, to finally bring us to the place where here we are sitting in uh, this church on this particular Sunday morning at this season in our life and what is going on in our life, it would be a fascinating thing to find out. But how did we really come to be here? I mean, aside from all of that, there, there's something that's even before that. How did we really come to be here? And that's where we get into this thing, the, the power of one. And there's a little demonstration I'm going to show you, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit about it, that, that I hope will make this a little bit more meaningful for you in just a second. Now you're wondering, well, okay, it was fun, Randy, but what, what is that all about? Uh, well, Jesus made this statement, uh, Matthew 16. It was about his third year of ministry. His ministry went about three and a half years total. That's it. Three and a half years changed the whole world. And he said, I will build my, and what is the word? Church. Now, if, you, if we would have been the first hearers, you know, coming right from Jesus' mouth, the word that would have sounded to us instead of church, it would have been, I will build my assembly. I will build my congregation. I will build my community. It would have been any of those words. We have the word church. It's the Greek word ekklesia. 
I will build my assembly, my congregation, my community. I will build my church. So he's making this big claim. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So here's this peasant carpenter. Never traveled more than 100 miles from where he lived. Never wrote a book. And he makes this audacious claim. He made another claim too. He said that that heaven and earth would pass away. But his words would never pass away. And here we are 2,000 years later. And we're here because of that. Now... To show you how this worked out, he made this statement, and here's just a little bit of a historical check. A guy named Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, and he traces the development of Christianity through the ages. And so by 150 A.D., these are conservative estimates, there were about 40,000 Christ followers. You can see by 180, there was 180,000. By 200, there was 218. And then it jumps tremendously, 250. Uh, just 50 years, it jumps to 1.17 million numbers do that. They get exponential. And then by 300, there's 3 to 8 million Christ followers. There was only 60 million people in the Roman Empire, they estimated at that time. Uh, most of which, by the way, were, were slaves. Because every time they conquered a country, you became a slave. You might be doctor, lawyer, it doesn't matter. You're a slave now. So Jesus makes this statement, and then this happens. But, but let's go further. So let, let's go all the way down. Let's go down to 1973. 1973, uh, there's a young man who is angry, he's restless, he's love-starved, he grew up without a father, he had a mother who was an alcoholic who told him on a regular basis that she wished she had a flushed him down the toilet just like she had the others. Her crude way of talking about the way they did abortions in the 50s. And that young man of age 23, he, he encounters this same Jesus, the same one that would have said 2,000 years before that approximately, that he would build his church. I encounter this message, and yeah, it's me that I'm talking about. And 11 years later, I'm pastoring a Baptist church in Middletown, Maryland. I come from southeast Washington, I end up in Middletown, Maryland. It's really a strange trip. <laughs> yeah. I'm pastoring this church, this Baptist church. It's very traditional, and it's not happening. I mean, I've had this passion in my heart that this Jesus that had changed my heart, changed my life, my trajectory, everything. I wanted desperately for people to experience their creator, and I just couldn't get this thing moving in that traditional church. So about a year before, um, I was only there seven and a half years, about the sixth year I came up with this plan And the plan, essentially, that I tried to present to them is what this church is today. Uh, Needless to say, it didn't work. It turned into a big church fight. And me and about 20 other malcontents, we left. Well, we didn't leave. We were left. They left us. We were left behind is what really happened. And we started this church back in 1991. October 27th, 1991 was the first service. Leading up to that first service, you know what we did? Just something you may want to think about doing sometime. We made 22,000 telephone calls. Just because we wanted to. We, we called people to just tell them that this new church was going to come. Now, people hated it then. They hate it even worse now. But that's what we did. Then we mailed out about 2,000 pieces of mail leading up to the first service. And so the first service was at South Frederick Elementary School. How many know where South Frederick Elementary School is? Okay, for you that don't, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> And we were so excited. You know, we didn't know what to expect. The best we can tell about 156 people came out uh, to that service. We're not exactly sure. We were too excited to get a good count. Uh, I can tell you one thing, though. We grew that church within the first year. We grew that church down to 60. So we, <laughs> we knew what we were doing. <laughs> and then we left uh, South Frederick Elementary. After the first year, we moved up, 
upscale, man, to Ballinger Creek Elementary. <laughs> and we were there for, I guess, 12, 13 years, hauling in four trailers, setting up, tearing down, setting up, tearing down Sunday after Sunday. When all was said and done, uh, after being there about 13 years, we grew to where we were averaging about 623 for two years in a row. I remember that because the figure was stuck in my head when we came into this property. We came into this property, we were renting it. We purchased 50 acres and we were renting the rest. And um, about three years into it, the owners of this place said, hey, we, we want to get out of this. You want to buy it? And we were like, with what? <laughs> Um, but we did somehow we, we did God us. We, we did. So we bought this whole shooting mats, a whole 139 acres. And, and here we are now to bring you up to date. We average probably about 17, 1800 a Sunday. If everybody that loosely affiliates himself as, yeah, man, I go to FCF. If everybody were to come at once, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you don't come every week, because I know you don't come every week. <laughs> Most of you don't come every week, but, but for those that do, but if everybody came once, it, we probably have about 2,500 people or so. 2,500 is interesting because there's 252,000 people in Frederick, and that's about 1% uh, what, what we average. Now, I say all that to simply say, you are here, I am here, we are all here because a peasant carpenter stood on the earth 2,000 years ago and said he would build his church, and he did, and he still is. And it's still happening. Now, this brings us to a question. How, how is he doing this? How did he intend to build this church? How is he building his church still today? And I'm just going to assume that this matters to you or you wouldn't be in something called a church. And I'm just going to assume something else. I'm going to assume that some of you probably have some interesting stories where you said, you know, I, I was so hesitant, you know, and I was nervous, and I didn't even want to go to church, and I don't know how I ended up being. Somebody invited me, and I came to church, and, and it was nothing like what I expected. It, it just was completely different, and man, I've been there ever since. I'm just curious, how many of you have a story, something similar to that? Can I see your hands? It was like that in the first service, too. In fact, let, let me do something else with you while we're at this. How many of you have ever been invited to church? Can I see your hands? Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that later. Keep that in mind. I, I think almost every hand was up in here. Um, so, Jesus, you said you're going to build this church, and now there's about 2 billion people that loosely at least identify themselves as Christians. We know they're not all Christians, but they loosely identify themselves as Christians. 2 billion out of 7 billion on the planet. How are you doing this? And here was his answer. When he rose from the dead... He came to his disciples, and this is what he said. Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It looked like the Roman imperial power was in authority. They're the ones that crucified him. But he's saying, no, 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 I'm alive. So obviously their, their authority is limited. It looked like the Jewish religious establishment was in control. They're the ones that schemed to get him killed and get him on the cross. But obviously he rose from the dead. So their power was limited. He said, no, 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 all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then here's his four steps. How, how are you building your church, Jesus? Four steps. See if you can track with me. Therefore, what? Step number one. He's telling his people, move out, move out. His disciples that are listening, move out. Go and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. Now, they knew exactly what he meant because he had just spent three and a half years making them his disciple. He knew that they would understand that making a disciple means you've got to get people and 
make clear to them the truth about God, the truth about life, so that they want to become like Jesus, so that we want to become the kind of beings that God intended us to become. And it takes time, and it takes learning, and it takes various experiences and interactions. And they knew the drill. They had been through it with Jesus. So when he told them that, they had a crystal clear picture. Go, make disciples. Now, this is something new. Where? All nations. Previously, they had just worked within Jewish confines. Now Jesus is saying, the whole world, go everywhere, everywhere. There's people that are reachable everywhere. Go, go to all nations. And then once they become a disciple, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's step three if you're following it out. Uh, baptism is just a symbol that I have died to my old self-directed, self-absorbed living. And now because I've put my trust in Christ, I'm going to follow him fully, freely, and forever. I'm a new person, the old person person did what he wanted when he wanted how he wanted the new person is going to do what jesus wants when he wants how he wants it and baptism symbolizes all that the death of the old randy the raising out of the water because we don't want to leave you down there too long to a new Randy. and and, and how many of you were at our last baptismal service okay it it was wonderful man i think we had about i don't know 40 50 people something like that anyway so he says baptize them in the name of the father son the holy spirit but then it doesn't stop there it's really important step number four teaching them, teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, remember what? I am what? I'm with you always. How long? To the end of the age. So Jesus says, okay, here, here's the deal. Here's how I'm going to build my church. I want you guys to go. Just, just go. Just go and make disciples. You know how I did it. I made you my disciples. Go, go make disciples. Teach them about me. Teach them truth about life. Let, let it get absorbed in their life. Let it get ordered. And then you got to keep on teaching them. Teach them all about my way, my will, my word, because you humans have to learn how to live according to your design. You don't know how to live to it. And, and then once they put their trust in me, baptize them and, and just keep this thing going because if you do this, I'm going to be with you right there. I'm going to be doing it to the end of the age. You know what's cool about dominoes? It all starts with the power of one. Doesn't matter if you set up a million dominoes. It's the energy of the first domino that is exchanged to all the rest. You ever think that through? Think. The one falls over, and that energy is transferred to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and this continues. And Jesus started, He is the power of one that started this domino effect that's come right down to you and to me. And it continues to change lives as we take that energy and go and make disciples and baptize and teach people to obey everything he commanded. It just keeps going on and on. That's his plan. He didn't tell us to uh, go on big social justice crusades. He didn't tell us to come up with some new governmental philosophy. He didn't tell us to uh, end all immorality in society. God knows they had a bunch of immorality in the Roman Empire, and we don't see him you know, going after all that. He just said, listen, you find the people that are teachable, the people that want to know me, that want to trust me, that want to be like me, And if they want to learn the way human beings were designed to live, they'll find it in me. Go go find the people that are interested in that. And that's that's it. That's how I'm going to build my church. Now, there's one other New Testament portion of Scripture that kind of zeroes in on this a little bit more closely as far as a strategic approach to how this church building stuff is done. Uh, The Apostle Paul was writing to followers of Christ living in Ephesus. And he says, so Christ himself 
gave, and this, he's going to give a, a, a five-fold leadership team. It's kind of like coaches. Uh, he says, so Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers, the construction in Greek, it's sometimes used together, pastor, teacher, slash. At any rate, here's these five-fold leadership team, or five-fold leadership team, kind of like coaches, player coaches. But what in the world are these player coaches supposed to do? Well, let's find out. They are to equip who? You tell me. His people. people. Are you his people? Then it's my job to equip you. That means I need to teach you what he said, all things that Jesus commanded. I need to enlighten you. I need to let you know how God wants you to live, uh, help bring some healing and some inspiration and some challenge and all these different things into your life. Okay? So I'm to equip you, equip his people, but I'm to equip you for what? Works of service. That means every single Christ follower has a calling to service, to ministry. Does that make sense? I'm going to equip you. I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to let you. But you're called. You're called. You have a ministry. You have work. Okay, but, but it's very specific work you have. You want to know what kind of work it is God wants you to do? How many are curious? You, I want to know what God wants me to do. Can I see your hands? Some of you are like, no, man, I don't want to know because then I'll be guilty. <laughs> if, I don't, if I don't want to do it, I'm guilty. <laughs> okay, it's very specific work that I'm supposed to equip you to do. To equip his people for works of service, but why? why? So that, that's big there, so that the body of Christ, that's another word for the church, so that the body of Christ may be, what is that? So we're all into bodybuilding. We're bodybuilders. <laughs> so that the body of Christ may be built up. So wait, wait a minute. Let's, let's get this again. So I do the equipping and inspiring and all like that. You do work, and your work is going to cause the body of Christ to be built up. How does the body of Christ get built up? Yes. <laughs> she said, we bring more people. Yes. Yes, it's been happening down through the ages. It's as you and you and you and you and you and you and you, you each say, you know, this is, this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to be the next domino. And I need to release that energy into someone else's life. And it can be really, really simple. I'm going to show you how simple it is. When you see how simple and easy it is, I don't know what you've ever heard about this in the past before, but when you see how simple and easy it is and how doable it is, I hope like crazy you'll be excited about this for the rest of your life. You won't count it as a burden. It won't be something that makes you feel uncomfortable or guilty. It won't make you feel like you need to do something weird. But you'll see that it's very, very normal and very, very wonderful because we get to bring the greatest gift into someone's life that a human being could possibly bring. So why, why should this matter to each of us? First uh, Timothy chapter 2 kind of lets us look into God's heart. It says, God our Savior, if we were to read it, it's talking about Jesus Christ, calls him God there. God our Savior, he wants what? All to what? He wants all people to be saved. Everybody. He has a heart for everybody. And to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So it's his desire that people be reached out to. So this should help us to feel the the motivation for why we do this kind of outreach. Now, what does this look like in action? 
okay? Because, because nothing's dynamic until it's specific and practical. So what, what does this look like in real, everyday action? It starts with relationally credible outreach. Now, now it's important to understand relationally credible. We all have family. We all have friends. We all have family. Some of us have friends. <laughs> uh, we have work associates. You know, we have neighborhood associates, we have in-laws, we have outlaws, we have all kind of things. So we have people that are, our, I'm going to call it our circle of influence. In fact, I'm going to give you a new idea. They are your flock. They are your congregation. Um, think of them like that. You are their shepherd. You're the domino that Jesus wants to release the energy of his message through you to them. So... It starts with a relationally credible outreach. Now, let's look at one in action. And when you see how simple this is and how doable this is, you're going to get excited. I I promise you will. Here we go. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist had some disciples, but then one day he saw Jesus walking by, and he points his disciples to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So these disciples that once were John the Baptist, they start following Jesus. That's the context of this verse. Andrew, the brother of who? Simon Peter, that's the guy we call Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. It goes on. He first, Andrew it's talking about, Andrew, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Andrew did what? He brought Simon to who? Okay. That's easy. Andrew's his older brother. Andrew says, Peter, hey man, come on, we, we got to talk. Um, we have found the one that we've been waiting for for 1,450 years. We, we have found, it's G, his name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. You just, I want to introduce you to him. I just want you to see for yourself. Will you just come with me? Come on, Peter. Come on, I'm your older brother. Just give, give me this one. Just come with me. Will you, come on, Peter, just come. And we know the story. Peter comes. He becomes the number one apostle. He preaches a message 50 days after Jesus is crucified. 3,000 people turn to Jesus. A couple weeks later, he preaches again. 5,000 men turn to Jesus. He becomes the leader in the church alongside the apostle Paul, who would come later. But it all started with the brother just saying, come on, just, just check it out. Just give me this. Just check it out. Let's look at another example. This is a friend. Philip found Nathaniel. Nathaniel was Philip's friend and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at Nathanael's reaction. Nathanael replied, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Evidently, Nazareth was like the ghetto, man. I don't know. It must have been a real down place. Jesus grew up in a down place, evidently. Philip replied, what? This is big. This is the whole message, folks. What does it say? Come and see. Apply that. Apply that. You got a family member, you got a friend, you got a work associate, you got a neighbor, you got an in-law, you got an outlaw, you got all these different people in your flock, your congregation, your assembly. And when the time feels right, and I'm going to talk to you much more about that, you just say, Hey, I I I've been going to this church and I gotta tell you, it's been a real surprise. It's it's been one of the better experiences of my life. I don't mean to make you feel weird and uncomfortable, but man, I'd love you to just come one time and just, just come with me one time and check it out. Just, just come and see for yourself. It might not be you. you. You may not, you know, I get it. It's okay. We'll still be buds, but will you just, will you just come one time and see? 
How many of you think you could do that? Does that sound heaven high or hard? Just, just come. Some of your hands didn't go up. You're a little scared. You're, you're like, well, then they won't think about me the same way. They, 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 they might change their opinion of me. Might. All right. So that's how easy it is. Now, I want to show you a video of one of our folks to show you just how wonderful and powerful something as simple as an invitation can be and the chain, the domino chain that it can start and who knows where they end. I was invited to my church, FCF, by an old good friend of mine. She was um, someone that I had met on the beach and um, we became really good friends and she one day just said, hey, I go to this church every Sunday. Do you want to come with me? You know, I, I was raised Greek Orthodox and you know, I had gone to that church for obligation for so long and not understanding most of the service. I sat there just trying to absorb what I could. So I spent a lot of time away from church, missing the community and the greatness that exists or had existed for me. And I had been alone for a while. So when she asked me to come, I agreed and I was holding her hand in church. And I said that this was one of the greatest gifts anyone had ever given me. Because I found my home again. I found my way back. And because of this gift, I'll always be grateful to her. And I've now found my home again. Impacted my life by showing me that you can have a family and community outside of the four walls of your home. It is the funnest thing at the end of our week, every week. My children have an amazing connection with their pastor leaders and their friends. And they literally run through the parking lot every weekend to get there. In our house, we have a saying that Sunday's the best day because we get to come here and be together. It has affected me so much that I feel my friends have noticed um, the joy and the love that I feel from coming here. And um, I got my best friend to come with me every Sunday and bring her children every Sunday. And it's, it's really had a ripple effect. Everybody knows that on Sunday, this is where we're gonna be. And this is where we're gonna celebrate our lives together. Uh, we will have fun baby. That's how it works. And folks, I've been hearing stories like this for 27 years. And probably you've heard some of them too. So it's not something we need to feel bad about. It's, it's a good thing that we're bringing into somebody's life. So it starts with relationally credible outreach. It's people we know, people that already know us. They're comfortable with us. We're comfortable with them. It's not rushing up into some stranger's face and saying weird things to them. But it, but it ends with a, re- a relationally credible outcome a relationally incredible outcome. Let me show you one more portion of Scripture. This is where you get into that whole domino effect. 
This is a cool portion of scripture. Read it on your own sometime. Uh, Jesus meets this woman from uh, Samaria, and she's like the naughty lady from Shady Lane, man. She's had five husbands. She's shacking up with a guy. Jesus talks to her openly about it. She's going to get water at a time when she doesn't want anybody else to see her. He engages this woman with great respect and speaks to her about life. The woman then reacts. Then the woman left her water jar, went off into the town, and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, which was a lot. Surely, now she's kind of tricky, man. You know, she knows she's got limited credibility with the people in town. She's the naughty lady of Shady Lane. She says, surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? You, You know? So they left the town and began coming to him. She invites them. Look at the next part. They said to the woman, No longer do we believe because of your words, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one really is the Savior of the world. This woman, the naughty lady of Shady Lane, she ends up bringing, looks like the whole town to Jesus. And then when they see for themselves, they say, now we know. This is the truth. Some of you have had very similar experiences. Somebody has invited you. You were a little shaky. You didn't know what was going on. It all seemed very new, very different. You sat around for a while. You soaked in God's truth. And then the light went on and you, you realized, now I know for myself, this is the truth about God. This is the truth about life. This is wonderful. This is going to change me. This is going to change my family. This is going to change every relationship that I have. It's going to change the entire trajectory of my life. And many of you, many of you have those stories. And I, I hear them, which is a wonderful gift that I get on this side of things. I want to share one, one last portion of Scripture with you because I want you, to, I want you to get a feel for how Jesus sees people, any, any mob of people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He wasn't angry at them. He wasn't judging them. He wasn't condemning them. He wasn't zeroing and pointing his finger in their one sin or the way some ugly Christian people tend to make us feel, but none of that stuff. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were bewildered and helpless. They were just confused people like all of us, just trying to figure out life, just trying to find some happiness. They were bewildered and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to who? His disciples. If you've put your trust in Christ and you are a Christ follower, you are his disciple. Okay, so this would mean this verse is dedicated to you as it is dedicated to me. Then he said to his disciples, Jesus is talking to me. Maybe he's talking to you if you're a disciple. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is what? Now remember, he's talking about crowds of people. He's changed the picture comparing it to a harvest that's ready to be harvested. You know, uh, plants that are growing, corn that's growing. The harvest is plentiful, but what's the problem? The workers are few. It's as simple as investing and inviting. Just come see. Just come see. They do studies on things, and 80% of the people that come to Christ, become his follower, become a real disciple, stick with it for the rest of their life. Do you know how they become one? They are invited to church by someone. Now, I know you may still be thinking, well, I need, I need another model, man. I need something. Give me a little something concrete. How do you go about this? So I got one more model for you, one more.
Mrs. Edwards! What do you want? Mrs. Edwards, I know I ask you this like every week, but would you like to ride to church with me? Oh, come on, Mrs. Edwards, you'll like my church. We have some hot music. It may not be what you're bumping at all, but it's hot. We get down. What do you say, Mrs. Edwards? Oh, I suppose. I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted, and for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. We have something great going on at this church. People's lives are being transformed by God's love. Your homework this week is to find at least one person who could use a little more of that love and invite them to come with you next week. Trust me, it's worth the extra effort. Mrs. Edwards, you want to listen to some music on the way? Go ahead, your choice. <sighs> okay, here we are. I actually gave a very similar message to this about five years ago. I introduced the concept of the power of one. I, I had watched our church grow, and then it started to slow in growth, and I knew that was not God's will. I knew there were so many people in Frederick that were reachable, and I, I realized that until each of us become, become those dominoes, those ones that communicate the energy of Christ by simple invites, by taking responsibility and sh sharing in the opportunities to change lives, I just knew that the churches can't reach their potential until everyone is a minister in this regard. So I introduced this concept back then, but then I let it die. Uh, you have my pledge and my promise. I will never let this die again. I would do a great disservice to you if I did. I would, I would cause you to miss wonderful opportunities that God intends for you to have. And so th this will be the heartbeat of this church that will be those that are ever, ever looking to invest in invite. I'm going to give you a, a real quick plan about the power of one. Here's what it comes down to. It's a four-step action plan, real simple. We'll get some stuff in print and eventually put in your hands so to help remind you. First of all, just do this. You can do it when you go home tonight. Identify your circle of influence. It's your friends. It's your family. It's your, your neighborhood people. It's the places you travel. That's number one. Then you just start praying for them. That's simple. You love them anyway. You love God, so you're going to pray for people. Number, th number three, invest in them. That just means listen to them, help them, serve them, seize every opportunity to do them good. If you love people, you do that anyhow. That that's just should be who we are as Christ followers. And then finally, the big step, you invite them. You, you, you've prayed, you've watched, you've looked for the, a good time, you've been sensitive, and you simply invite. That's not beyond something that any of us can do, and that's why God calls us to be the next domino the next domino that will exchange his energy by something as simple as invest in invite. I'm going to ask you a self-serving question, self-serving for me. <laughs> How many believe that something very unique has been going on at this church for a long, long time? You that have been here. Can I just see your hands? Yeah, I know it and you know it. We've got to share this, folks. Uh, our full redemptive potential is much greater than this, and I know God wants us to reach it. And I believe you want us to reach it too. And together, we really can. We've got to share this life with others.
I'm going to close with an old story. We preachers, we come across old stories. Uh, This one is not true, but it's an interesting preacher type of story. And the story goes that Jesus, after having, you know, died on the cross for our sins and risen from the dead and then ascended back into heaven, that he, he meets in heaven with Gabriel, you know, one of the chief angels. And Gabriel says, Lord, this has been so amazing. What you did down there, do they understand? Do, do they know? Do they understand that you've revealed the very heart of God? Do they understand the depths of your sacrificial love? I, I mean... They need to know. All of them on that planet, they, they all need to know what you've done, Jesus. They need to know who you are. They need to know how you feel about them and what you want for them. So what's the plan, Lord? And Jesus says, well, Gabriel, you were watching. I mean, you know, there's Peter, James, and John, those guys that I discipled. And I spent three and a half years with them, and I just told them to go and do the same thing with others. Go and make more disciples just like I did them. And that's the plan. Gabriel pauses and he looks rather awkwardly he doesn't want to offend the lord he says lord he says uh, you know supposing supposing that they that they get real distracted and you know they got so many responsibilities and they got so many problems of their own and and then they get worried about the way people might think about them and and they just they just some reason sometime they, they just stop reaching out they, they they just stop doing that what what's the plan b lord there's got to be a plan b because this is too important. And the old story goes that Jesus looks at Gabriel and says, Plan B? There is no plan B. And the story closes with this. I am depending on them. And that is truth. The Spirit of God will bear witness in your heart to that right now. The living God wants to include us in his plan to build his eternal community, his congregation, his assembly, his church. We get to participate, and he is absolutely depending on you, and you, and you, and you, and if I could point to everybody in here, and me, he's depending on us, but more importantly, he's inviting us into the most beautiful, exciting adventure we can ever have to watch the Spirit of God start working and changing a person's life for good. So, the power of one. I hope you will all say, sign me up. Because the way the power of one works is this. We're, we're going to trust God. If I could go to that last slide, uh, beyond that one. It's a personal adventure of faith to add one new person to Christ, to Christ's church. It's not our church. It's not my church. It's Christ's church each year. So I make a goal. It becomes a prayer adventure goal between the Lord and I that I want to invite and add, if possible, to Christ's church one new person every year of my life. That is doable, folks. That's doable. And I, I think God is just waiting to give us some exciting experiences if we're willing to sign on. I did this in the first service. I'm going to do it to you. I'm going to look at right now. How many of you say, Randy, I am, I am all in. Count me in. I will take this adventure for the rest of my days as a Christ follower. The power of one will be the drumbeat of my heart. Sign me on. Can I just see your hands? Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, you see our hearts. You saw our hands. You know how much courage this is going to take. You know how much reminder it's going to take for all of us. You know how busy and absorbed and distracted we get. May your spirit just continue to show us the beautiful potential you allow us to to impart to other lives 
and give us the boldness and the wisdom to do so. We ask it now, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.